Welcome to another episode of The Suspendables with funny man Jungle Jim Jerome and retired NHL star Russ Cortnall. Each week they unleash their raw, stripped-down, unfiltered opinions on all things hockey and maybe other stuff too. Who knows? Inside stories, absolutely. Outrage, guaranteed. Offside, for sure. And always plenty of laughs. Strap in. The Suspendables is coming at you right now. Well, folks, it's uh, yet another another episode of a bunch of shit you just missed. That was hilarious. Okay, half hour work. Stevie, Stevie, our editor, uh, said, you know, I thought he said we've recorded because I've always said to him, um, you know, as soon as we, as soon as you log us in, okay, uh, for the suspendable show, of course, with me and Russ Court. Well, as soon as you log us in, Stevie, start to record because we're going to get some gems, right? And uh, so I thought we were recording. <laughs> Anyway, we're we're still at it. Uh, Rusty boy, how you doing? Uh, kicking off another week uh, here on the Suspendables on the longest day of the year, Rusty. Oh as we yeah, record. yeah, that's June right. Tw- June twenty first. That's right. My father, as you know, was hilarious, and he used to. He would say, <laughs> speaking of the longest, he'd say, uh, "You know, uh, if the doctor gives me six months to live, I would move in with my mother in law because it would be the longest six months <laughs> of my life." <laughs> How you doing, Rusty? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm uh, just uh, I'm I'm still in California, hanging out, playing a little golf with my son, which is nice. Uh, he's he's been back for a while, and uh, right. my again, my wine cellar is absolutely getting shit kicked. Oh, did he take after his dad? Your well, son? he you know I like yes, he likes his red wine, so it it means that we're drinking more than one. You know, it's I'm not here Han Solo drinking one bottle of wine. I've got him and his girlfriends here, and they like their wine, so it's yeah. uh, it's taking a beating. Yeah, it's right. Although, it's right. It's right behind me. If you can hear a wine, it's it. It's wine. Well, I've seen your empties at the side of the curb when I've been in L.A. visiting you. And uh, I always I always look at it going, wow, he must have had a big party last night. Look at all the wine bottles. And then I find out, you go, no, no, it's just me. No, just me <laughs> My recycle guy loves me. Yeah, uh, lots to talk about. But uh, I love these shows uh, that we do and we, we bring on guests. By the way, a huge, huge response to Liam McGuire. Uh, didn't he knock your socks off, Rusty, last week with the stuff this guy oh, knows? We were yeah. celebrating uh, Montreal Canadiens that they're doing uh, what what nobody thought they would do. Uh, when we record here, they're they're tied to all. Uh, the cooler struck again, Rusty. I bet on Montreal last oh, night. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, so the cooler, the cooler wrecks all that. Um, you know, but in in the sports world, you know, Rusty, you've often pointed out how tough it is. Uh, you know, and us as fans are are huge critics, you know, taking athletes down. But you've always said people don't understand how difficult it is to survive, you know, in the NHL and, and to, to, you know, to play mm-hmm. a night after night, wondering if you're going to get moved up or down or get, go to the minors or avoid injury, uh, the stress on the families and all that stuff. And so, so we all know a lot about that. But in the world of sports broadcasting, Rusty, um, it, I, I did it, uh, you know, for – several years in Ottawa and uh, it's a riot for sure. It's a lot of fun, but, but a lot of it is not very fun. (laughs) And it's, if you want to take on being a broadcaster and you want to, you know, say, I'm going to do this for a living, you better have thick skin, baby. 
yeah. because uh, particularly over the last four or five years, um, so many people have come and gone who were household names. You know, go, go back to John Cherry, uh, you know, Doug McLean, Nick Kiprios, all these guys have been have come and gone. Jeremy Roenick, you know, gave it a whirl. I think yeah. I don't know if he'll get back. Uh, it is a tough grind, man. And our guest today uh, is now celebrating Rusty. Uh, the two main networks, of course, in Canada are TSN and Sportsnet. And he is now into his 10th year of co-hosting uh, Sportsnet Central every night. Uh, and I'm talking about Kenny Reed. How are you, Kenny? You're there. Did I did I talk too long and put you to sleep or what? <laughs> no, buddy. You, you nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. And it's an honor to be on a couple episodes after Liam and a couple episodes after Wendell. And I wanted to ask Russ what it's what it's like when you interview Liam and Liam knows more about your time with the Montreal Canadiens than you do. Unbelievable. It was uh it was great to hear all his stats and um mm. and that's the second time I've I've uh, met him um but it, it's just wonderful to sit back and hear all the stuff and he's so yeah. passionate and knowledgeable. Oh, it's great. Absolutely. Yeah. He's the most for a guy who drinks the amount of export he drinks, he has the best body of any hardcore beer drinker I've ever seen. Because he's always sending <laughs> pictures out with his tarp off, right? And he's got an X in one hand. I'm like, yeah, how geez. do you do it? Liam's yeah. still in good shape. Beauty guy. Not only that, not only that, if you get together in a bar yeah. with Liam, uh, you know, he's kind of he's kind of looking around after he has a few pops, Rusty. Okay. Because he, he told the story about you attacking a guy in the bar there <laughs> on St. Catherine Street. You thought, who did you think it was, Rusty? And you went to run at him? You oh, thought, I, thought, I, th- I thought it was John Brophy. Right. So, oh. He did. Yeah. Wow. You went to hug him or fight him? Uh, no, I, I was going to probably go over and say something stupid. And, and thank yeah. God, I was, I, Boria told me not to. And it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't broof. It Just was. a random white-haired gentleman. Somebody, some guy with white hair walked yeah. into the bar, and yeah. somebody was jokingly, jokingly said, "Oh, there's broof." And then you know, I'd had a, few, I'd had yeah. a few. <laughs> don't don't let the wrong guy, Rusty, get in the way if you wanted to kick the shit out of somebody. You know, you wouldn't want to do that. Um, broof probably would have kicked my ass. <laughs> yeah. Not if Wendell, not if Wendell was there. Yeah. Um, Anyway, Liam, what I was going to say is he's feisty, man. He's feisty uh-huh. about his knowledge of hockey. Uh-huh. And uh, if you're with him and he has a few and someone questions, okay, uh-huh. the facts, you know, uh, whatever the fact of a story he brings up, he, he sort of goes right to the, oh, is that right, dude? Okay. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> he's going to take someone on. Uh, Kenny, listen, man, uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, I, I, I love your story. Uh, you and I uh, connected years ago. Yes. Um, when you were you were working for the TV station in Ottawa, and a friend of mine, a mutual friend of mine, phoned me, Hutch, yeah, and he said, "You know, that's my buddy there who works downstairs at the station." And and you and I met, and uh, you know, I, I said I fell in love with this guy, Kenny. He's a great guy. Um, but your story is is fantastic. Like like to survive in this business, yeah. Uh, you're from Picto, Nova Scotia. Did I pronounce that right? Picto, like as gross as it sounds. By the way, I just got a text from Hutch, as you said that. Okay, so I didn't much. pronounce it right. It's Picto. <laughs> yeah. Picto, yeah, it's a nice name, eh? And I was re- I was reading you about you this week because um, I know you as a friend. We've known yeah. each other a long time. And when I read this thing uh, where your dad told you when you were eight or nine years old, yeah, that you should go into the sports broadcasting business son because you can get into hockey games for free yeah yeah <laughs> that's great yeah classic scotsman yeah you know i got i got into it myself but it was it was never because i had a desire to do it, it was just because i got lucky i got lucky and was at the right place at the right time but this looks like something kenny that you had 
as you know, uh, this comes on the heels of the U.S. Open and everyone watching uh, Mackenzie Hughes, you know, playing the final group. You know, all, all these golfers, when you talk to them, they were like, from the time I was four years old, man, I wanted to play in the Masters. Uh, you don't often hear that about sportscasters, but it sounds like you had this goal in mind, Kenny, when you were, I don't know, Eight, in diapers. Nine? <laughs> yeah, well, I loved hockey, and I loved the Montreal Canadiens, and my plan was to play in the National Hockey League. But when I was, I guess, it'd be nine, eight or nine, I got cut, <laughs> cut from the Novice <laughs> One team and picked on Nova Scotia. And <laughs> I, I considered myself a pretty knowledgeable hockey mind, right, guys? So I thought, sure. well, if I can't make Novice One, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not going to play for the Montreal Canadiens. And I went home and I was just uh, like, I don't know if an eight or nine year old could be clinically depressed, but I was close. And uh, dad, dad was lamenting over stuff. And there was a baseball game on TV. So it must've been October, right? Right. When hockey started and they're making their cuts. And dad said, well, the guys doing the game, they get in for free. And this light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a sports broadcaster. I'm going to be a hockey play-by-play guy. I can do this. So at eight, nine years old, I'm determined to do this. So I remember by the time I got to grade five, I maybe a year later, I thought maybe I should be a physiotherapist because dad was a doctor, right? And I didn't want to let the old man down. Sure, a doctor, makes sense. The doctor's yeah. kid. But, but, but then I'm, that lasted for like three weeks. And so I, I want to be a play-by-play guy, which was a blessing and a curse. The blessing is I know exactly what I'm going to do. So boys, you know what it's like when you meet with the guidance counselor in high school, right? And they, they're quizzing you and all this stuff. So I, I knew all my answers. So... I didn't have to screw around in high school taking physics and chemistry and biology. Math, I could care less. I, if I knew but plus minus and that up the goals and assists, I was fine. English, I figure I had to know how to speak, so I, I paid attention there. <laughs> but the teachers were always going, what is wrong with Kenny Reed? And my father was aghast because he's a local doctor. He had moved to Picto, fresh out of Dalmed in 1970 with three other buddies. They opened a clinic. They all have kids at the same time. Mm-hmm. So there's groups of doctor's kids it coming up with me. There are tops in the class. I'm like loser, right? I graduated high school. With I a get 60, that. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I graduated high school with a 62 average. So I'm like, I'll turn it up when I turn it up. Right. Like I'm sure. kind of like that, that really good ringer in beer league. Right. I'm not good. Just tell me when boys. So then no. I, then I'm, then I, when I study broadcast, I'm like, okay, I care now. So it was awesome because uh, I don't know anything about biology or chemistry or physics. And I remember in grade 12, we ha- you had to carry six classes in order to play on the, on the sports team. So the day after the final high school hockey game, I went and asked Mrs. Hilchie, can I drop biology? Because she had to sign the, the slip. I was carrying a 38. She said, it's about time you asked me. So she signed it. <laughs> she signed it. And I'm living proof, boys. Education, oh. education is overrated. 44 grade 11 math. Summer school was a 50. Rounded it up. There you go. Yeah. I got one question about the four guys, your dad and his three buddies who moved and opened a practice and they all had kids at the same time. Did they yeah. have uh, more than one woman or did they all share the same gal? Oh, no, no. They, they, <laughs> they, they, uh, mom, dad met uh, mom, former Miss, uh, Miss Swimsuit Nova Scotia, 1970. Woo! Yeah, met her in Picto. So she was in Miss Nova Scotia. Let's see. Uh, uh, Dr. Archibald met his wife in college. Dr. Murray met Maida Murray in college. And Al Nicholson met Betty Ann in college. So, no. No, no I got of, the same. Yeah, yeah. All, all had their own wives. Very traditional. Media guys remember everything, eh? Nate, you're just ripping those names off like no, no, nobody's business. Oh, my God. Good oh, for yeah. you. I got a buddy who's been married four times Okay, <laughs> and, had a, and has a bunch of kids. And he always says, Father's Day is the most confusing day of the world for my children. 
reminder, if you'd like to connect online with Russ or Jimmy or engage with them on social media, find out how at thesuspendables.com. Kenny, was it something, um, like I said earlier at the top here, to survive uh, freak? You know, you know, I read a stat a while back that if you if you survive three years doing a doing a sports show, yeah, doing a radio show, doing a TV show, uh, that's pretty good. It's like being an NFL player, right? Three years average in the league. Yeah, and, and it's the same. Um, you, you've been you've been ten years doing this. We back up a bit when you were growing up in Picto. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I I come from a small town. I'm from Sudbury, but it's not as small as there. Well, Sudbury's a city to me. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, exactly. It's like going to Hawaii. Was it always <laughs> something, Kenny, at a, at a young age where? And I love I love the Maritimes. I love down east where some someone's yeah. looking at this, going, "I got to get out of this town." Uh, no, I I loved where I was from, but I knew to do what I wanted to do. I had to leave, so it wasn't like I got to get the hell out of here, like you see in the movies, right? But I knew that in order to be a a hockey broadcaster. I couldn't stick around Picto. Like I like so I, I, I always wanted to work I, I was a kid. I always said I wanted to work in Montreal and I wanted to work in Edmonton because I wanted to cover the Oilers and I wanted to cover the Habs. I grew up a diehard Habs fan and also I loved your buddy Gretz. Like I was at the Church of Wayne Gretzky, right? If there was if he was the Pope, I was begging to be a bishop or a cardinal. Like I wanted to be in their heart. <laughs> so I always wanted to work in Edmonton and I always wanted to work in Montreal and I knew that I you know, I wasn't going to work in Picto. It just, it just something that I, I never considered because, my God, I love the Picto Town Hockey League, but you can only watch fishermen fight fishermen so many times on the ice, right? It gets a little boring. <laughs> <laughs> but good fights, baby. Oh, but good fight. huh? oh my God. This, yeah. like, epic stories. I once saw my father jump into another team's bench, uh, fight a guy, and I saw, like, my, who wants to fight C.B. Smith? And Mark Perone says, I'll do them, boys. They're next door neighbors. They go out and have a hat and have a drink later. And, uh, oh, yeah. It's, That's uh, like, great. Yeah, neighbor. One one time, the headlight and the advocate, uh, it used to be, it, it was uh, friend versus friend, fisherman, fisherman, fisherman versus fisherman, and pogey collector get versus pogey collector. Get ready for the Picto Town <laughs> Hockey League Finals. <laughs> I love when you tell those stories. I love the guys from the Maritimes. Langdon is one of our best Oh, fans. Langer's You're, a beauty, yeah. yeah. He is a beauty. When you tell those stories, you can hear the accent come out. Russell. Oh, yeah. It has, it oh, has yeah, to come out then. Yeah, it's got to come out, guys. Yeah. Let's, whip, let's whip the tape ahead, uh, Kenny, and uh, congratulations on, on your 10th year. You're coming yeah. in your 11th, I guess. It's crazy. Um, you know, when, when you think back to when you were you were getting involved in the game uh, yeah. of, of sports broadcasting, it was always the old boys club, right? There, sure. You probably you probably go far enough back, Kenny, that there weren't women involved. Oh no, there was there were, there were lots of women involved. Like, lo- okay, I, so you're I, not that I, yeah, old. I'm not that old, Jimmy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, how how old are you, Kenny? Forty six, Russ. Yeah, yeah. So you the 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 girls came in when Harold. When I played for the Leafs and he locked uh, locked the media out of the room and they stormed the room because he didn't want girls. Did you see that? Ever see that Harold clip? You lived. Oh, it, but it's on YouTube now, right? Recently, says, yeah. Tell me about the clip. What clip, Russ? I'll leave that to you. I want to keep my job. Oh boy, he, Harold says uh, we can't. Something about just was. Uh, I don't yeah. want women in the locker room. Have you guys been in there? There's a couple of my players that have ding dongs mm-hmm. as long as <laughs> we're not. 
Yeah. Like he, and he was not holding back. No, he used the rooster term for ding-dongs. Yeah, he was. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah he, yeah. He sounded like Reggie Dunlop, to be honest. I, and I, I didn't remember him. I mean, I remember them barging into our room. They broke, yeah. like they pushed the door down and came in, opened the door, and they all rushed in, all the Toronto media. And um, I don't remember that interview that, Harold did, yeah, and uh, and, and maybe because they didn't put it on the air because it was so <laughs> no kidding, so yeah. crazy, L- little edgy. <laughs> yeah, it was way edgy, and um, and then you know what? The, the girls started coming in the locker rooms. I remember us having meetings about it, mm-hmm. and um, you know what? The the women came in. And it was all all professional and uh, just became normal. I mean, right. it really, it really became just normal that women were in the locker room and it, it grew and grew and grew. And I can only imagine what it's like today, but uh, yeah, that was the start of uh, girls coming in the locker room. Wow. Well, it's funny now when you go in the room, the room's just literally a place where guys take their skates off. Right. And then they jump into those back rooms or they change into their clothes. So, I mean, I, I'm an anchor now, but when I used to go in the rooms, when I started, you could interview guys at practice on the bench. You remember that, Russ? Those yeah. cool, cool shots on the bench with you guys leaning over in the CCM bucket half off. And you could walk in the room and get a guy in his towel and anything. And I mean, even as recently as 10 years ago, you walked in a room, there might be two guys there at the end of a game. You know, they're <laughs> up, they're in the back and you you ask, oh, can you send out so-and-so player in the media? Primes them out. So if people are wondering why you only hear from one or two guys, it's because that's kind of well, who's available after the games. But I, I used to like the old school ones, Russ. I'm sure you've been through where the, I don't know if a coach ever yelled at you guys. You sit there and you talk to them and you go in the room and there's 20 guys with their heads down. Like then you, then you can get a lot of interviews. Yeah. <laughs> right. I remember uh, my, uh, my mom and my uh, sister watching my brother's game and then uh, in Vancouver and they're living in Victoria and they're interviewing after the game, they're in the locker room interviewing and, and my sister goes, Oh my God, look at that guy in the background. He's butt naked. And it turns, yeah. that person turns around and my mom goes, Oh my God, that's my son. <laughs> Jeff, <cover up." laughs> oh my God. Oh, yeah. oh, there used to be quite a few little uh, exposés in the background, right? Like you had to be oh, careful. Yeah. Poor mothers. Oh my God. Speaking of mothers, I, Jimmy, you'll like this and Russ, you'll like it more. So, I'll fast forward a bit, but a uh, big hockey card collector back in the day, right? And so for my brother and I, the the be-all, end-all was to go to Montreal for a game. So the second ever time we went to Montreal for a game, my dad got us into a practice at the Forum. So my brother and I have, oh. our, have our cards. We're like 14 years old. My brother's 11. My brother and I have our cards, and we're waiting for the players to come out, and there's this nice lady sitting there. And we start talking to her, and I remember she was so super kind, and she said, well, who are you waiting for? We listed the players off. She says, well, I have a couple sons who play in the National Hockey League. We said, you do? We said, who's that? And she said, and she reached into her, her purse and she said, well, this is one. Can you guess the other? And we said, you're Russ Cortnell's mother. She gave us, she pulled out of her purse, autographed no. Jeff Cor- autographed Jeff Cortnell cards. And then Russ, no. you came out. She called you over. Now, Russ, <laughs> you know, or, or whatever she might have called you. And yeah. you were very nice son. And these little boys are from Nova Scotia. So that was, that's my Russ Cortnell's oh mother's story. Oh, my God. So, isn't that oh cool? Oh my God! How that's so good. Uh, my mom, my mom was, was she was such a proud hockey mom, and she oh yeah, bake for all. Like when we visited Vancouver, and she'd come over, she'd bake for the team, and and yeah. cookies and brownies, and and <laughs> and anybody wanted an autograph, she'd now sign this and sign that yeah. and do this and yeah. and uh, I I 
have I got a million stories about my mom, and unfortunately, she has dementia now, so she doesn't even know who oh. I am. But um, well, she was a kind. She was awfully kind to two little kids. Yeah, well, that that's my mom. Uh, she's just a wonderful, wonderful lady. And I have this vision of her just sitting on a stool with her purse on her knees and her knees together, and reaching in and pulling out the cards of Jeff, <laughs> and they were they were yellow. They were yellow, and it was this headshot. And I I still have it. So there you go. That's awesome. You talk yeah. about you talk about your mom baking brownies and stuff, Russ. Uh, in my bl- blurry days, Russ, I used to bake brownies for all my buddies too. <laughs> I bet you did, Jimmy. What you put in them? Uh, Kenny, how about this? How have you survived? Yeah. How have you survived for ten years uh, in a business where, especially over the last couple of years, yeah, they're ripping people apart. What's uh, you know, your competitors, guys are dropping like flies. Uh, you know, big Tim and Sid, one of those guys is gone. Uh, the other, Onright and Buddy, they're gone. Dan, yeah. Stop. Uh, Doug what? McLean, I yeah, mentioned Dougie. that. Grapes. Yeah. Grapes is gone. Dan McLean, a yeah. b- bunch of other guys. Uh, you've hung in there. You, so you've better than hung in there. Yeah. Uh, talk about that. Thanks, Jimmy. Well, yeah, I've been doing it professionally since January 2nd, 1997. So however long that is. And I've been at Sportsnet for 10 years. Uh Key point number one, don't have the highest paid contract, so I'm good there. Uh, yep. that's huge. Because <laughs> we, we live in a salary cap era. Sure. Uh, uh, point, uh, and, and honestly, the other thing is I, I'm a big Audio Slave fan. My favorite Audio Slave lyric is to be yourself is all that you can do. So after a while, I realized, you know what, don't try to imitate this guy. Don't try to imitate that guy. And just be yourself. And my, by myself, I take a little bit from this, a little bit from that places I've learned, people I've known over the years. And I I mean, I just try to stay in my lane and do what I do. And the media business, as you said, Jimmy, it's crazy. Um, we don't even have waivers. We just have your cut. You're gone. Right. So, um, you know, I just, I cherish every day and I truly love what I do. I mean, I get paid to go in and watch hockey games. So right. I'm, I'm not going to complain. I like to think of myself as a as a team player and, uh, you know, pucks in deep, full 60, all that stuff. So just kinda, <laughs> 200, just, 200 foot player. There yeah, we go. Yeah. Here, here we go. Quick start. Just, you know, yeah. go, but I, I have fun and I hope that translates and I, I enjoy the people I work for and I'm, I'm just lucky. And it's, I guess it would be like if you were a pro athlete, uh, I think most guys who play in the NHL are smart enough to know cherish every day. Right. And, uh, I'm, I'm a cherish every day kind of guy. So lucky to still be here. Yeah, That's big great. big pressure on guys to survive. I you know I know for sure you walk into work each day. I don't, yeah. I don't mean you personally, but if you're in that gig, that everybody goes through. It's like, okay, they kind of poke their head in the door, rusty each day, going, okay, there's no notice on my door. There's okay, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. Right? Yeah. Um, do Do you have to separate yourself, Kenny? From uh, I mean, it's such a highly competitive thing, particularly with podcasts now. Um, that there's so many so much stuff out there. Um, so so what do you do do you have to do you have to come up with something different all the time or how to present it or yeah what's well, your what's your take way i look at it is i'm different right i'm me there's only one me so like i said be yourself uh don't pay attention to social media social media is the worst thing to happen to humanity since the invention of the internet and that was only 10 years prior so mm-hmm. um i'm not big on like jimmy you know back in the day if someone wanted to tell us you suck they had to write a letter and it was almost right. it was almost flattering to get a you suck letter. I still get a couple right. of them, but <laughs> any night, lots of them. right? <laughs> any night on Twitter, you can go on, and I guess it's like being a player, Russ. Because if you're not doing well, the fans will boo you. So on Twitter, yeah. I will you'll literally get booed. So I right. think you just you just don't pay attention to it. And I I'm uh, I'm a little older than the average bear at my work. 
when it comes to mm-hmm. being an anchor. So I don't try to pay attention to the negative stuff on social media. Uh, there's a lot of pressure to open an account on this platform, open an account on that platform. I still don't really know how to use like uh, Instagram. So I'm not in a rush to start, I don't know, Clubhouse or TikTok, whatever they call it. And who right. really wants to see me on there anyway? So I just do what I do and I try to get by and, and I have fun doing it. And, and I, I, I try not to peer over my shoulder because what's the sense, right? That's not right. going to make it fun. Well, you'll kill yourself. Yeah. That's smart. That's smart. Yeah. I mean, Ross, imagine showing up at, tra- you show up training camp, opening 1990 camp with the, with the uh, Habs and all you do is look down at all the wingers coming up. It's going to drive yourself crazy, right? Yeah. I was looking ahead, not behind. Right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's all you can do. I, uh, I, um, when I played, I didn't listen to the media. I didn't, I, I didn't have cable in Montreal for four, uh, my first three years. I got it my fourth year when, I'm, when my wife started coming when we were yeah. dating and she'd come visit. So I had to have cable. Sure. So I didn't pay attention to it, but I freaking sat right beside Stefan Richet and he would come in and go, ah, oh, you won't believe what they're saying about you on the radio. <laughs> and I'm like, Stefan, I don't want to, I don't listen to it. Oh no, you got to hear this. <laughs> ah, but he was the one guy who read the papers. Best slap shot off the back foot in the history of the NHL. He played oh, a man. slap shot like a wedge. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Freaking loved it. He was yeah. great. Every time we'd get a uh, a, a penalty where someone would need, uh, someone would have to serve from the bench. Yeah, Pat Burns would send Reesh over to serve it, and he'd almost get a breakaway out of the freaking penalty oh, box every yeah. game. He was phenomenal. What a what a goal scorer! Such a sniper, man. Yeah, such a sniper. Hard man. shot. Oh, you know, Rusty. Uh, over the years, right? People have approached Russ. Yeah, and said, you, you know, you should write a you should write a book. You should write a book. You should write a book. And I said, no, 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 I got an idea because Rusty invited me in to do this show with, with our partner out of L.A. And I said, no book, Rusty, okay? Let's do a podcast, okay? And, and we're going to get all these stories. And we've had some <laughs> phenomenal stories from Russ. Kenny, you've been a broadcaster. I've embarrassed myself several thousand times uh, when I did stories. I said, I got to ask Reed when he comes on. Uh, you got to have some doozies. Remember the new RO where we worked, Jimmy, and I was in the same sure. building as you in Ottawa. And it was, Russ, it was one of those open newsroom concepts like City TV was back in the day. Mm-hmm. So at any time you could be in the background of a shot and not know it. Yeah. So one time they switched to a shot. I was in the background and I gave somebody the finger really hard that was off camera. <laughs> I, I didn't know I was there. And then I like tried to pretend I was fixing my hair. You know, yeah. uh, yeah. And, it just and, got and, worse. Oh, yeah. And then the pit in your stomach, you know, and then the phone lines. <laughs> <laughs> that was good times. That was good times. Uh, another, I guess, and the worst on-air, I guess, journalistic error ever made was in Edmonton. Um, we did 15 minutes of sports uh, on CFRN, CTV Edmonton, which Jimmy, sure. you know well. Yep. And it was all locally produced, and I would run around just crazy on the weekends. I'd work from 9 a.m. to midnight every Saturday, Jeez. Sunday, and Friday. And one night, the, this high school basketball championship, championship for the city comes back in, I've got five minutes to write it, cut it, put it there, declare this one school the champion team of the city. And so I do it. And But I had the uniforms mixed up, so I declared the wrong team, the champ, and the, the losers, the winners. And <laughs> my news director made me to go to the – Steve Hogel. Uh, made yeah, me, I remember yeah, Stevie. Yeah, yeah sure. beauty guy. Good hockey player. He made me go to the high school on the Monday and do a story about how the local sportscaster was an idiot. So that was – 
That was it. Those are my those are my pig two doozies. But I I mean I mean you screw up things every once in a while. You never mean to screw up, but those are the two ones that that immediately come to mind on just me being a moron. So, but I'm a moron a lot of times. I I did a couple uh, on air saying uh, you know uh, my my old man as everyone knows was a member of Parliament and then the Speaker and so he he started as a sitting member in the '60s, uh, late wow. '60s. I'm a little older than you, Kenny. Like, yeah. 14 years older and uh <laughs> i used to go on air all the time and talk about guys that i ran into around town you know and i would say you know i ran into so-and-so and ed broadbent was a, you know the leader of the ndp and all these this, and i'd said and robert stanfield you know from the stanfield underwear company and then the guy came on and said yeah died on friday jim okay, oh. died on friday. Like, oh, oh. Oh. good one there jimmy yeah, anyway yeah I did, I did, yeah you gotta be thousands. careful like, it's like anything. You're going to put your foot in your mouth eventually, right? If you talk for a living, it's going to happen. Are you quivering, Russ, when you hear these stories? How are you embarrassed well, yourself? My, my most embarrassing moment when I first uh, um, was interviewed for Hockey Night in Canada with Hodge um, in Toronto, and I was so freaking nervous. Uh, you know, he had that light blue Hockey Night in Canada <laughs> blazer sure. on, yeah. and and it was a pre-recorded um, – and so I go in there. It's right across from the Maple Leaf Gardens locker room. I'm 18 years old, just came wow. turned pro after the Olympics in Sarajevo in 84. And uh, it's my first Saturday night hockey night in Canada game. And I, I go in there and I'm sweating already. <laughs> I got the big hamburgers <laughs> under my uh, cheeseburgers going and my uh, long underwear. And, uh, and uh, they put the jersey on me and he goes, okay, we got to do a sound check. Count to 10. And I went out loud. oh my god and there and they looked at me oh and they you know i had i wasn't shaving i looked like i was in grade seven for crying out loud and uh dave hodge so it was dave and he looked at me and he didn't laugh and he just said, no, Russ, do it uh, out loud. And I bet you, as soon as I walked out of that room, they were like, oh, my God, is he nervous or as dumb as a freaking Or just dumb as a freaking axe handle. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they chalked it up to nerve. Oh, fuck. I tell you, I was freaking nervous. <laughs> Anyways, that was my embarrassing media moment. That's not so bad. Your internet homework, uh, by the way, when you bring up Dave Hodge and you bring up the powder blue yeah. Uh, yeah, CBC jackets. Your internet homework is to see how that powder blue jacket went from that color to blazing hot red when he set it on fire, didn't he, Kenny? Wasn't that the story on Dave? Yeah, I don't know if it was set on fire or not. I, I actually recall Dave wearing his a hockey night in Canada blue blazer at an event. I think introducing a band a couple of years ago, but I know Shanny's ended up on a ceiling fan or something. So there's all <laughs> kinds, all kinds of stories. Speaking of burning jackets, I was yeah. at Cam Neely's uh, charity event in Boston, yeah. and we were out on the Cape or um, Martha's Vineyard, and he raises a bunch of money for cancer, and uh, both parents he lost to, to cancer. Oh. So it's this unbelievable oh. event. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. So we're in this guy's backyard, and it's where Bill Clinton used to stay when he'd go wow. to Martha's Vineyard, and he left his blue presidential blue bomber jacket that he'd wear on Air Force One or the helicopter when they would fly in. And uh, he left it there. So oh during the si- during the live auction, the guy gets hammered up who owns the house. He goes <laughs> in, he grabs the jacket, brings it up to the stage and goes, auction off this, it's Bill Clinton's. Oh my God. What the hell would that go for? 
20 grand. Oh my God. And you know what? You know what? 20. It'd be worth 20 million. Yeah. No, well, this was 20 years ago. So it went for 20 grand. And the guy, the guy who bought it said, I'll give you 20 grand right now. But on one condition, you got to burn the jacket. (laughs) And they freaking lit it. They cut the uh, presidential seal out of the jacket and they freaking burned it on stage with a blowtorch. So a Republican, a Republican bought that jacket. Yeah. And only 20 people stood up and cheered in. There's probably 500 people in the audience (laughs) and 20 people stood up and cheered. Oh, my God. You're in Democrat territory down in Massachusetts, right? Yeah. Ted Kennedy's just sitting there shaking his head. Yeah. 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 But they didn't burn the presidential seal. So anyways, that's my jacket story burning. Speaking of writing books, yeah. uh, Kenny, you've, you've, you've done half a dozen or so. Um, and, you know, most guys, Rusty, um, you know, a lot of sportscasters who have success like Kenny will, will get asked, you know, you got, you got to write a book about stories or, or you know, and a lot, of, a lot of the books, and I've got several of them, uh, you know, sports books, and they're all about these crazy success stories where guys came from where they started out to where they are now you know the the dream of winning the stanley cup and and busting out of a small town great american sports stories where where kids grew up in the inner city went on to you know unbelievable fame (laughs) kenny kenny writes a couple of books i'm not laughing at kenny the whole concept is unbelievable so kenny goes yeah i'm an author i love it I, i live the dream I'm going to knock out a couple of books about very unsuccessful hockey players with, and I'm not shitting you. Well, tell us about the two books. One is called one to remember. And the other one is one night only one to remember. Tell, tell us about that book. So one to remember is about guys who scored a single NHL goal. So for me, <laughs> if you scored a single NHL goal, you're freaking awesome at hockey. So right. I wanted guys to know stories about these guys who scored in the best league in the world. So instead of saying, oh, my God, he only had one goal, my take is he scored a frigging goal in the NHL. Now, for guys who've scored several hundred, they might take a different look at it. But for a guy who was cut from novice and realized he wasn't going to make the NHL at eight, to me, to play in the league is incredible. And that's where one night only came from, too. Instead of going, oh, my God, the guy only played one game in the NHL. My take is you played a game in the NHL. So I called these guys with the – with the genuine enthusiasm to find out what the story was. Cause it's funny. People say, Oh, you're an author. I'm like, I'm not an author. I'm just a storyteller. It happens to be written down. So right. I, I'd call all these guys and you know, I I'd want to know how in the frig did you to make it to the <laughs> NHL and how, or how come you only got one game? What happened? Or how come you only got one goal? What happened? And, and there's all kinds of dudes in here. Like, I mean, in one night only there was, there, there was guys who became doctors, guys who became scientists, guys who became coaches, guys who became players, guys who never played again, guys who went and, you know, did it up in Europe. I mean, Dave Hansen's in one to remember, right? From the Hansen brothers. He scored one NHL goal. No way. That's awesome. Right. So my my whole thing with Dave was I want to know this story because everyone knows the Hansen brothers, right? Yeah. But every, everyone knows that that take. So yeah, it was fun, man. Just that's a great, what a great idea. How, how many guys could do when you set out to write that book, Kenny going, okay, I love the idea and I love your angle. Okay. It's not to embarrass guys is to say what a phenomenal feat, but how many, how many guys could there be that only scored one goal? So in the history of the NHL, about 6,500 guys have skated in the league. So I didn't count goalies. Right. Right. And about 1500 have never scored. So there's 1,500 wow. guys or so who played in the NHL who never scored. And there's, and the one goal club, there's about 
350, 400 guys. So that's amazing. I would have never, never imagined that. Exactly. And so the, the cool thing is some guys thought it was really cool. Other guys didn't give a crap. And there's one guy like, I'll, I'll just, he's, uh, he's actually played for the senators, but it's pretty cool. He took a year off from the NHL to train to sail in the Olympics. And then his plan was, what? yeah, yeah. His name was Hank Lamons. He's very successful on wall street now. So he's playing for playing for in the AHL takes a year off to sail to train for the Olympics. He was a world champion, but his Olympics didn't go as planned. So then he comes back and it's September and he's, what am I going to do? And the national team calls him and they said, well, how would you like to play Olympics in hockey and be double Olympics? He's like, well, that sounds awesome. But then the Ottawa senators call him and he ends up playing for Ottawa and scoring a goal. So I'm like, that'd be like the, the Bo Jackson of 1992, but nobody heard of him. Sure. You know what I found though was, was with time. A lot of the guys, when they just finished playing and they only had the one game in the NHL or the one goal, a lot of them were pissed off. But mm-hmm. like with, with like a lot of things with time, you learn to appreciate what you got instead of what you didn't have. So that was, that was like positive reinforcement for me. That, like if the guy who writes a book, what did you get out of this? If anything, it's like, well, over time you learn to appreciate what you have and not what you don't have. Right. You know, when most, most hockey players and probably most athletes, when they leave, when they, when they're finished, mm-hmm. when that's it, when that's their last game, yeah. they're not happy about it. I, Cam Neely was great for me. He goes, Russ, think of all the guys who announce their retirement and then play their last game. It's, it's few and far between. He goes, we get retired. You do not retire. Right. And so you leave the game pissed off at some, for some reason. Yeah. You know, like you had more time and or, you know, you feel like they they didn't think you could play anymore. So that was it. And then nobody else gave you a chance. So there's a million different reasons, no matter if you played one game or or fourteen hundred games. There's there's a lot of guys that leave the game. And then you're right. You're absolutely correct. Over time, those, you know, memories subside and then you start thinking how lucky you were about what you did. And, and yeah. I'm sure even those one timers can sit there and with their buddies and go, well, yeah, I played, I scored yeah. a goal. Yeah. You know? well, <laughs> yeah. Like what you did. <laughs> exactly. Well, what I, what I liked about telling the story too, of the, and for the book one to remember about the guys who scored one goal, a lot of the guys were, you know what, thanks for doing this because the only people I've ever told this to are my kid and his buddies and they don't want to hear it anymore. And it was mentioned once in the paper, he scored his first goal. He's like, you know, not, not a lot of them sit around at the Legion getting pie eyed telling the story, but it was yeah. there. Yeah, one guy is a Dr. Stu McNeil in, in Vancouver. He wrote me this nice handwritten letter. He scored back in the original six days. And it's just, there's kind of all That's kinds cool. of great, great off the wall hockey stories out there. So those are the ones I like telling them. Like, I mentioned I was a hockey card geek as a kid. Still am. Still collect them. And right. uh, cards that aren't worth much are called commons, right? And people would cast them aside. And, and my whole thing was there's never any such thing as a common card because everybody on these cards has a story, right? Like the pitcher, you flip the card over, you look at the stats. There's stories in there somewhere. You just got to find them. Right. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, that's why those two books are cool. Uh, but the other one you did, spe- speaking of, of unbelievable stories and a guy who became, you know, an absolute mentor to the the lesser known guy, uh, mm. Eddie Shack. Yeah. Um, of course, I, I, he's from Sudbury, I think, my hometown. He is, he is, yeah. he is. Yeah, and, and people made fun of Eddie. You know, he ended up doing those pop shop uh, pop shop ads and um, up there. But they they made fun of him saying, you know, how, how sort of, 
you know, I hate to use the word, right, but sort of how dumb he was. He was illiterate. He couldn't read or write, uh, uneducated, goofball guy, and, and yet and yet played in the NHL, you know, and you wrote a book uh, or you, you co-authored that book about Eddie Shuck. I wrote that with Eddie. Yeah. Eddie certainly didn't write it. <laughs> That's what's our yeah. joke. That was our yeah. joke. Imagine me, <laughs> imagine me writing a book and I'm illiterate. So, so what I, this is, and you just said it, Jim, all that stuff. So all those negatives, Eddie took them and turned them into a positive. He turned all that stuff that was perceived as negative and became a multimillionaire, right? Yeah. He didn't, he didn't make his money on the ice. So he was just like the ultimate throwback book signings with him were like an event that one could never imagine. He would say the most off the wall, grotesque things and people, <laughs> people would love it. He was <laughs> it's like he, Bobby Hall. Yeah. You know, yep. He's Bobby Hall. Exactly. And he, yeah. Eddie, we wrote that book. Uh, we wrote it quickly. We released it September, 2019. We had four months together. That was just a blast. Mm-hmm. We did book signings. He has the most gorgeous autograph for a guy who can't write. Beautiful mm-hmm. cursive. And um, just, you know, and then right after Christmas, he was diagnosed with cancer. He passed away. I guess it would have been late June, early July of 2020. Right. And it was almost like that was Eddie's last hurrah because we got all these great stories out of him. We actually called Bobby Hall. Bobby told us some stories about Eddie. And Wayne was nice enough to chip in with a story about Eddie. You know, he's like, right. he's like, this is a dumb guy playing senior in Brantford when I was 14 years old. It was Eddie Shack skating right. around. <laughs> and uh, Eddie did whatever he wanted. And like Jack Valaket said, Eddie couldn't read or write, but he could count. One million, two million, three million. <laughs> four million. So, Eddie was a beauty, man. It was awesome. It was a true thrill. And he's a household name, you know, for yes. those of us who are, you know, under 60 years old or, yeah. uh, you know, under 50 you would only know about Eddie Shack and, and would not have seen him play. Um, what, what, what makes the guy uh, amongst some of the obvious stuff, Kenny, what, what stuck out with you writing that book, getting together, what, what makes yeah. him so remarkable or something we don't know about Eddie Shack that, that you learned to me, what made him so remarkable was he gave people what they wanted, right? It's like, you don't go to see the doobie brothers. So they get on stage and go, all right, this one's off our new album, right? right. <laughs> play friggin' China Grove. Eddie played China Grove for everybody. A book signing, right? There's 300 people lined up. He gives everybody one minute of Eddie Shack. All those times he went across Canada pop shop or playing in old timers tournaments, he gave people Eddie Shack. First time I met Eddie Shack was in 1985. The Montreal Old Pros, who we played with because he loved the Rocket and John Ferguson, they came to Picto, Nova Scotia to pay my dad's team, the Picto Carlsberg Old Timers. So mom makes this chowder for them. So they have a drink up and chowder fest after the game at the kinsman hall eddie hits right. all over my mother like my like i mentioned mom's a good looking lady eddie <laughs> eddie 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 hits on her like a madman and so first time i met him I'm like eddie how are you ah, i got to see your kid how are you right and i'm like great great i go you hit on my mother in 1985 he goes i hit on a lot of women in 1985 <laughs> <laughs> so so um but he's reflective and the thing i learned about eddie and I'm I, I I'm gonna take this with me wherever I go. Is uh, I'm not gonna like so you always try your best not to judge people. But mm-hmm. the thing I learned from Eddie was just because you can't read and write doesn't mean you aren't a smart person. Eddie was like borderline genius, and I say that in the truest form. Like he could take anything and make it a positive and turn it into money, right? So I can't read and write. Well, what am I going to do about that? Well, I'll, I'll learn to do things the other way. I'll make myself into this character. The guy was on a friggin' lunchbox in 1975. 
Right. I mean, he wasn't Bobby Orr in 1975, right? He was a he was a fourth liner on a Leafs team that was doing horrible. But he was on clear the track. Here comes Eddie Shack. That's right. And and wherever he'd walk in, clear the track. Here comes Shack. Russ, did you ever go to an event and try to sneak in quietly, like so people don't go? Oh, there's Russ. Not Eddie. He wants people to know. So we go to we go to Prancer's Deli because Colby Armstrong calls me up. He's like, I got to go to lunch with Eddie. This guy's awesome because he's read the book. He's reading all these stories like Eddie, you know, like all the time. <laughs> so we go to Prancer's Deli, which is in, in Eddie's hood up on, uh, I guess, Avenue in the 401 in Toronto. And as soon as we walk in, clear the track. Here comes Shaq. The whole place turns around. Jesus. <laughs> so we're sitting there. It's me and Colby and Brian Aaronworth from Frameworth and Eddie Shaq. Nice. Right. And, and Eddie Shaq. And people are coming by. Now, Colby's recently retired. He's on Hockey Night in Canada. Nobody gives a flying crap or even knows who Colby is. Eddie Shaq, Eddie Shaq. And he is loving it. And he's telling, he's telling Colby, like, Colby's like, I think he thinks I still play. And because he, he's going, what you got to do is you got to flip that puck. Nobody flips her anymore. You got to flip it in and then hammer. <laughs> and he's just going and going. Like, I mean, women come in and address. He goes, look at you. Oh, baby, get over here. You know, and they're coming over. Like he, boy, Eddie. Exactly. Yeah. He's getting as much out of it as they are. And yeah. he's just giving them the Eddie Shack experience. And it was like, it was like, it was so nice to be around a person. And I said this to him. I'm like, Eddie, you spread joy for a living, buddy. Like yeah. the, the art of being Eddie Shack is people aren't buying your book to buy your book. They're buying it for like that piece of you to make them smile. And they're getting his autograph because you know, Eddie Shack spreads joy for a living, and that then that's what that's what he did. It was yeah, he did. It was what, awesome. Kenny, uh, the, I mean, these are these are like I say, I love your angle on some of these books. And um, what would be your next book, Kenny? Boy, I don't know. I actually, my this sounds big deal, right? Well, this makes the whole bit go right. flat, Kenny. Right. Okay, well, come like, on. Now. My <laughs> literary agent called me today, so my my literary agent called me today with an idea that I liked, but I don't know if I'm going to go for it. I have been in talks with a, a former player who's a, a good buddy of mine about possibly doing a book, but I don't think he's quite ready yet, and I totally understand that. And I, my whole thing was, I, I've done one other book with an ex player. It was Denny Maruk, and and this guy and me were pretty philosophically aligned, but I said. Number one thing you got to know is if we do a book together, it's your book. Whatever you want is in it. Whatever you don't want is not in it. Any changes, we'll do it. But secondly, if we're going to do it, you got to be in like a hundred million zillion percent. Like I don't right. want to release a book with a guy and the guy goes, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or, I shouldn't right. have put that in there. Like, And trust me, like I mean, I'm not going to put in – if I were to write a book with a, a, a player – uh, there's stuff you leave out. There's stuff, you know, there's, sure. I, I never, ever, ever, ever want to be mean and hurt someone. And if I, if I write a book with, with an ex player, I'm like, it's his book. I'm just, I'm just the guy that puts the stories in order. I'm not working on anything currently, but I haven't been able to because the kids are at home too friggin' much during this pandemic. I usually write when they're in school. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so Kenny, good. can we, can we uh, can we talk about mental health? Yes, I, I read a, a bunch of it this morning. Um, it's it's uh, there's there's a bunch of NHL players. R- Rusty, yeah, uh, your daughter has been very outspoken about the, the cause of mental health. She's she's completely open and transparent about it. Uh, we're, we're talking about your daughter Allie, mm-hmm. um, who's and like Kenny, they, they, these two stories run parallel, uh, which is totally interesting to me. Uh, both of you have experienced great success. Great success. Ali is on a meteoric rise in the in the fashion, mm-hmm. right, and health mm-hmm. 
of health world. Uh, Kenny, you're, you've, you know, if, if you had to retire tomorrow, you know, you've, you've really achieved so much. And yet both of you talk about the terrible, terrible dark days of, of depression. Yeah. Well, well, when I was a teenager, um, I was really happy go lucky kid till I was around 12 or 13. Then I had that, you know, that growth spurt where you grow 58 feet in a month right. and a half and yeah. your, your Dao 301s don't fit quite as well anymore. And, you know, you're suddenly having problems crossing over to the left side and then you're really not going to play in the NHL. And, you know, I had to, had to get glasses at, at around 14, which is like a horrible experience in 1989. It looked like wheels from Degrassi, but with less coordination. And, uh, it just anxiety hit me. I, I was very critical of myself. I lost all my confidence and I became basically a shut in. Like the boys used to call me houseplant because I never left the house. So I played on the hockey teams. And, mm-hmm. But when the game was over, instead of going out to the party or to McDonald's, I just went home. It's not that I didn't want to. It's I was too shy to ask or too shy to be part of the group. And it was just it ate at me. So I spent a lot of nights looking at hockey cards maybe that's why i know all these stupid weird stats and stuff like mm-hmm. that so go away to college and come out of your shell and so my 20s were were um what's that tom cochran line good times we had remember all the good ones forget about all the bad so if mm-hmm. you look back you're like oh that was a great night at cowboys and that was a great night out here but uh-huh. when you're not out it was awful like i was just in a dark place so i was a self-medicator right i drank to have fun and to be happy and if i wasn't happy I'd wake up and drink again so it was awful and no confidence worry just a worry ward I would call myself worried about everything uh, but you wouldn't necessarily know it if you were hanging out with me and I always say I wore a mask so I wore this mm-hmm. mask and that boys that was a full-time job trying to appear to be happy and <laughs> then stage 33 maybe um, like the smallest things would bother me right so I don't even know what the hell it was, but one day my wife just said, enough, you know, you're worrying about stuff that's not even like relevant, call a therapist or something. So I right. just said, yeah, you know what? You're right. She was, I don't know if we were married, married then or if we were just living in sin, but I said, yeah, okay. And I called the therapist in the yellow pages just down the street from me and basically walked in and said, fix me. And she said, oh, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so right. been right. going to, went to therapy every, for a week. Every week I'd go, and that continued up to the pandemic started. I've been going every couple of weeks. Wow, last few good years. for you! Yeah, but go to a, good every, for you, and got on the meds. And when I like, so the therapy was working slowly, and then I got on the meds, and because my whole thing was, I don't want to be a superstar. I just want to be normal. I want to know mm-hmm. what it, what it feels like to have a normal shitty day, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Where I would just boom, like if the slightest bad thing happened to me, I would just go into this deep hole. And as you guys. No, hmm. if you're living like I don't don't live the public life you guys do, but you know, like you don't want to be seen, and yet I'm on TV for a living, which is weird. So I got her under control, and uh, so far so good. The last the last ten years of my life have been the best years of my life. I wouldn't have been able to be the dad I am if I was still where I was. I wouldn't be able to write books. Um, work would be awful because I'd be second guessing myself all the time, and. <laughs> I remember I was always jealous of my buddies who had this super confidence and who maybe had a little bit of an a-hole in them, you know, just to be that confident. And <laughs> right. I always said, I don't want to be an a-hole, but I wouldn't mind a little bit of it. Right. So my thing is I always try to be nice to people. I always try to smile. I always try to wonder maybe they're having a bad day too. But yeah, I'm very glad I addressed it. And I guess I've, I've spoken publicly about it 
in uh, a, a few times, like Shane Corson and I, Shane basically has the same mental makeup as I have. And Shane and I've done talks about it together where I interview Shane and it just kind of opens up a two way conversation between us in front of an audience. And it's like, like this is a guy, like I mentioned, boys, big Habs fan. Like I used to pretend I was Shane Corson when he played in the 85 world juniors. Yeah. Then we grow up and I run into him here in Toronto and we realize, Oh my God, same mental makeup. I always say when we do, we do speeches, you know, there's three things that separate Shane and I age. He's way better at hockey and has way better hair. And then away we go. <laughs> cause, cause it's, it's just, it doesn't matter who you are. It can hit you. And I was very glad that, that I addressed it by no means am I cured, but I'm, I'm a pretty happy dude. And like what you say, I, that, to be yourself is all that you can do. I learned that in the last 10 years and it's been very nice. Well, congratulations. And, you know, I, I, I text uh, Shane and I, I, I sent him a note when he was talking about mental health and I said, keep talking. Cause you don't, you, you don't realize how many people you're helping out there. And, and uh, our family, we lost our father to suicide. So we have a big mental health push for, uh, out in Victoria, we built a hospital and we helped wow. uh, short-term, long-term uh, emergency center and, and then long-term care. And we're, we're rebooting it again. And, um, and then my daughter's talking about it all the time. And I keep telling her the same mm-hmm. thing. You're helping people that think you're all that. Yep. And then you're sharing the stories of bad days, good days, and how you get through it. And, and I look at her comments and there's so many that I can't read them all. But people love people like yourself who they see and think how wonderful you are and what you do. And, and then you open up and tell the truth about yourself. And, and they, they now um, feel even more power and more appreciation from someone like yourself and Shane and my daughter and others that just share their stories. And, and you know, the one thing I always tell people is, is you don't ask your friends for help. Joe, go get a professional. Talk to that person. You're we're not made up. If you're not a therapist or a doctor, you do you do not have the tools to help people properly. So good for you for uh, hitting the yellow pages. But um, you know that that was probably the beginning helping yourself. You're right. Like tell a friend, but then talk to a professional. So hopefully those. Hopefully those friends can steer you towards that. And my yeah. friend was my wife yeah. and she steered me towards professional and like Michael Landsberg at TSN, just amazing what he's, what he's done. And, and for me, I guess when I did the story in the star, my thing was I'm, we live in a, a time now where everyone, I guess like, I don't know if I'd call it victim culture, but everyone seems to be talking about something. And I didn't want to come off as, Oh, woe was me. And the mm-hmm. guy who wrote the article got that. And, so thank goodness it came off that way. And yeah, when, when people call you up or those are the good mentions on Twitter, right? When, pe- yeah. when someone will say thank you or can you yeah. message me and, and you get back to them. But yeah, yeah. it's uh, you have to talk about it. So I'm pr- good for your daughter. Allie, is it Allie? Yeah, Allie. Yeah, yeah, good yeah, for yeah. How old is she? She's uh, turning 28 uh, this month. Jesus, Ross, you must be old. Uh, I'm 56, big fellow. Still fast though, buddy. Oh, I don't know about that. No, he's not. No, no. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> I play golf fast. Yeah, <laughs> golf yeah. Quick, yeah. <laughs> Kenny, this was wonderful, man. This was, uh, and 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 Russ and I are 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 close. You know, we've become close over the years. Yeah. And, uh, I I love this stuff. Where yeah. Corey Hirsch, I think, is a big guy. Oh, Hershey, yeah. he oh, called yeah. me that Hershey's day. Awesome. Yeah. Hirsch, right he's, away that day, Hershey called me. The day yeah. that article came out. Yeah. Beauty guy. Yeah, he's. 
and there's many other guys and Russ has spoken about it with his daughter and yeah. I, and I've got to talk uh several times about about battles uh, yeah. and it comes at a time when when uh you know if you asked a guy how are you doing and they said fine everyone would just walk away but sure but it's yeah but it's becoming uh, a better world, you know, a better world for people to have to deal with that, which was not a macho thing, you know, that I'm that I'm fine. So. I remember, remember back in the old days, like I remember my grandfather, he would just go to the, the Legion or or old guys would go to the VFA or old players would. And now you know why, because they never talked about it. Right. You, know, right. you can only drink through so much. In a couple hours, I'll be starting my therapist. (laughs) (laughs) I only have one glass of wine a day. The other eight, I take in the evening. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot more to life than pucks and deep boys, but it's supposed to be fun too. And I think if you address the mental issues, it's way more fun once you get on the other side of that. So that's awesome, boys. Thanks for the chat. Now, Kenny, before you go. Yes. Yeah, I got all the time in the world, boys. Yeah. Okay, listen to me. Okay. The fucking shoes that you're wearing. Oh, they're got beautiful. They're beautiful. No, no. Rusty, you're going to have to look it up. Okay. Oh. So you got the beautiful suits, you guys. Yeah. You probably, you know, you got the beautiful navy suits. Nice tie, Rusty. And then a little rose colored tie. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. A little check pattern to the suits. Sharp. Kenny's in shape. Mm-hmm. He looks good. Got lots well, of hair. And then you're st- doing a stand up on your show. And I look down, and you've got these shitty va- vanilla beige. What are those things? Oh, they're. Beautiful. I want those changed oh, tonight. No. I'm going to be watching. Happening. I'm wearing my new pink ones tonight for you. They're beauties. Oh. They are golf shoes slash boating shoes. And if style, uh, if you're stylish <laughs> enough and have the guts, they're dress shoes as well. I'll just put that out there. No, nice. they're golf shoes and boating shoes. That's a great way. Okay, so <laughs> they are. They're called okay. Bions. I love them. I love okay, I'm watching tonight. What time are you on? What time? Tell us Sports uh, Net Central. Yeah, Sports Net Central. I'm on uh, tonight out of the Islanders Tampa Bay game. And I'm on, I guess it would be Tuesday night out of the Habs and Vegas game. And then I'm on Wednesday out of the Islanders Tampa Bay game. And then uh, it repeats right. itself. Gotcha. He's Ken Reed. He's your, uh, you know, t- 10 years again. Congratulations. He He's a co-host on Sports Net Central. Riding the Bunkers coattails. He's, yeah, sure. Osmar, love her. One to remember is one of his books, One Night Only. He's written a book. What's the book about uh, Eddie Shack? What's it called? Eddie Shack. How did you come up with that name? <laughs> <laughs> I, forget, I, got it, I got it around here somewhere. Yeah, we just called it Eddie Shack. We're like, there we go. Good, good job. Eddie Shack. I know, Kenny. I know what you could do. I know your next book. What? Guys who've never won a Stanley Cup and played 17 years in the oh, league. Ah, here we go. Oh, no, Jimmy. Ross, you got to come back with something. How about guys who did a podcast with a guy who played 17 years in the NHL? That, there's one. There That's you go. true, yeah. How about Pop. guys who never made it? And, and, yeah, that would be oh. me. Oh, okay. <laughs> how, about, how about doctor's kids, the disappointments? I can write an autobiography. Yeah, yeah, well, how about... How about successful uh, members of parliament, lawyers, and judges, kids? The disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jimmy, we got our next book. We're going to do it together. Let's go, baby. You've been listening to The Suspendables. We'll talk to everybody. See you, boys. See you, us. See you, Jimmy. Thanks, Kenny. Take it easy, Kenny. Thanks, brother. The Suspendables is a weekly podcast series featuring former NHLer Russ Cortnell and host Jim Jerome. Join us for new episodes available each Wednesday morning. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We invite you to subscribe and review or share the show with your friends and followers. Check out our website today, thesuspendables.com.